Good morning, Family Life Church. I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, I am coming to you via video presentation this morning. Uh, I am away this weekend at Pastor's Kids and Missionary's Kids Retreat in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, one of the things that was on uh, Jessa and my heart was to be able to help uh, the pastor's kids of our area be able to get to this retreat. And so uh, we took two vehicles and 16 students to be a part of this uh, incredible weekend. And so we're just really hoping that God will use it to speak to their hearts. But in the midst of being gone, I still wanted to be able to, to, to preach. I mean, I don't know, you can't help it. Preachers got to preach. So I, I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. If you're visiting, I'm sorry that I'm not there to meet you in person. My name is Chris Massey. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I would love to invite you to continue to be a part of this family and everything that God is doing in our midst. But I wanted to get back into this series that we've been in over the last couple of weeks called Canceled. Uh, this idea of turning cancel culture, which is something that is prevalent in our world today, uh, that is really trying to generate accountability, like we've talked about, this idea that the, the group is holding on to an idea of what should be, and in some cases, uh, challenging others, canceling ideas. And, and again, it's this idea that the crowd is fickle. They get to pick what is right and wrong. There's no morality behind it, but there's still good intention. And so I think that we can glean from this that there are things from within our culture, even a Christian biblical culture, uh, that we need, to, we need to eradicate, we need to get rid of, that need to be canceled. And so the first week we took a look at the idea of infidelity. Uh, meaning that God has called us to be faithful, faithful to him and everything, faithful to the world around us, the people that he has called us to, understanding that everything that we possess does not actually belong to us. It was given to us by God. And so when we say, okay, God, I will use my gifts, my talents, my resources, my time, whatever that looks like for your glory, then God says, I can take that and use that to bless those that I desire to bless. The next week, we spent some time taking a look at the idea of satisfaction, the pursuit of more, the need for more, this insatiable appetite that is so deep within us. And, and really, again, I don't say that it's all our fault. We talked about a little bit that even within our culture, I mean, people are spending millions and millions and billions of dollars on advertisements trying to convince you that you deserve more, you deserve better, you deserve bigger and newer, whatever that looks like. But... For us, we need to get to the place of understanding that we can't allow that to trickle into the way that we look at God and the satisfaction that he gives us. Because ultimately, God has given each of us a purpose. God has given you a purpose. And when you fulfill that purpose, regardless of what that looks like in your tangible world, uh, whether you would be comforted or you live in poverty or you have everything or you feel like you have nothing, being obedient to God is really where we find satisfaction. We looked at the 12 disciples, how 11 of them died martyrs' deaths. And if we add Paul in there, that's 13. You know, they all died even though they had done everything God told them to do. And at the end of it, they weren't sitting there thinking, I wish I had more, but really holding on to the idea, I'm satisfied because I got to live a life that was pleasing to God. And so I want to wrap this up this week in this idea that we've been in and, and finish this canceled culture for us in Christianity, rethinking American Christianity. And, and the last thing that I want us to look at in this, ser this sermon today is the idea of one-liner theology. I'll say that again, one-liner theology. Now, what does that mean? One-liner theology is these, the statements that we can sometimes make that are well-intended, but that depict an idea of God that is not biblical. 
they depict an idea of self that is not biblical. And so I want to take a look at, there's probably a lot more, but we're going to look at two of them this morning and, and get an idea of what it means to really fully understand what it is that we're saying in that one line, but also maybe how we can shift that, cancel that one-liner idea, idea that's in us and move it into something that could really be helpful. So to aid us in maybe seeing what this looks like a little better, um, I've asked two incredible actors if they would act out a little scene for us and, and show us what it looks like to go through this kind of a, of a scenario. So tell me if you've ever seen this before. Yo, man, it's like things have been tough and it's like, man, my wife and like, we don't get along and she's always mad about something. I don't even know what she's mad about. And then like, I don't know, they're telling me my, I might lose my job. I might, I'm like, what? I need my job. I got three kids. My kids eat a lot. I mean, my good, my son, he eats all the time. He never stops eating. Now, because of economic whatever, I'm gonna lose my job, and my wife's mad at me, and like I'm already broke, and I got, I don't even, I don't even, what, what are you supposed to do with that when you got all this stuff that's just like, I don't even know what to do. What, what, what do you do with it? You know, man, it's just times like these you gotta remember. I mean, God never gives us more than, more we, can than we can handle. handle. All right, does that sound familiar? God will never give you more than you can handle. All right, how many of you have heard that phrase before? How many of you have said that phrase before? And here's the really big question. How many of you were actually helped or found that you helped someone by making that statement? The answer, zero. Why? Because it doesn't help. When we try to tell someone that the things that they're going through is really not more than they're able to bear, we're telling them that they should be able to man up or woman up, I'm not judging, and handle the moment. And if they can't, that means there's a deficiency in them because God knows how much they can handle. And if they're not handling it, it's their fault. Now, again, it's well-intentioned, but it's not biblical. Where it comes from is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we're going to turn to and read in just a second here. But it is not talking about everything in life. In fact, it's only talking about one specific thing. Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church that they might be faced with temptation to sin, to go back to their old life, to do things within the culture that everybody else thinks is okay, that are permissible, as he says, but are not beneficial. And so in the midst of trying to push them towards what might be beneficial for them, he offers them this statement, this promise from God, and we can read it in verses 12 and 13. Here it is. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. There it is. God will never allow you to be tempted by more than you can stand. Now, let's take this into the real context of what's being said here. What God is saying is that when you are tempted to sin, when you're tempted to go back into your old life, when you're tempted to do what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing it, it seems acceptable. God says in that moment, I will give you the strength to endure and you don't have to give in. I will be there right there, but right beside you, giving you everything that you need to be able to stand up and say, no, I will not give in to this temptation. I am going to stay completely rooted in God and being pleasing to him because I love him. Now we twist this. 
we say that God can cause you to overcome anything and everything that you're going through, God already knew you were going to go through it and he knew that you had the strength to endure it. And when we tell somebody that, like I said before, we're telling them that if they're going to get through it, they're going to just have to buckle down and do it themselves because God already sees that they're able. They just got to make the decision to do so. But this isn't a biblical idea. In fact, we can see through scripture that there are times when God uses suffering, whether he caused it or not. That's a totally different subject, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Whether it was him or something else, even ourselves that caused it, God says, I can use this to draw you closer to me. And so I would just lay before us that sometimes what really needs to happen is an overwhelmed reliance on God. We do get overwhelmed. I don't know about you. I go through time, seasons, situations, scenarios that completely overwhelm me. I know I play it really cool and I look like I've got it together all the time, but deep on the inside, I've almost got it all together. Just anyway, but we need to understand that we can be overwhelmed and allow that to push us to reliance on God. Now, when we tell people God never gives you more than you can handle, we're telling them do it yourself. But when we try to instead tell people God can use whatever you're going through to draw you closer to him, then we put all of the responsibility on God. And here's the thing. There are going to be situations that you face in your life that are too big for you. But can I tell you this? You will never face a situation in your life that is too big for God. Again, you try to do it on your own. I try to do it on my own. I may fall. I may fail. I may totally mess everything up. But if I press into relationship with God and I press into hearing from him and my reliance on him, then the promise that I get instead is what we read in Philippians that says, that God is going to give us the peace of God that passes all understanding. It'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that we won't have to be throwing our hands up in the air and saying, the world is over, the world is over. But we'll be able to press into Jesus even when we feel like the world is coming to an end and say, God, I need you now more than ever before. So instead of telling somebody the next time that they're kind of laying, you know, letting you know, hey, I've got all this going on, I'm struggling here and this is going on. Instead of telling them that God would never give them more that they can handle, tell them God could use this situation in your life, no matter how painful it is to lead you into deeper relationship with him. And if you trust him, if you commit yourself to pursuing him, he is faithful and his promise is that he will give you the peace of God that passes all understanding. That doesn't mean he'll take everything away. That doesn't mean he'll make everything great, but it does mean that he'll be with us along the way. We can have an overwhelmed reliance on God and be drawn closer to him and made stronger. The second I want us to take a look at, again, I've asked these great actors if they would help us out. And I mean, they did such a great job in the first one. So of course they would do it again, but take a look and tell me if you've ever seen this situation. Well, it happened. It happened just like I told you it was going to happen. They're saying, I'm going to lose my job. I lost my job and now I'm broke. I got nothing. And now my wife's all like, well, I don't know. Maybe I need to find somebody who has a job. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I do too. I should find somebody who has a job. And like, well, nobody's got a job now. We're, we're broke. I mean, what, do, what am we supposed to do? I needed that job. Man, I'm sorry to hear you lost your job. That's tough. You know, it was probably God's will. Because God probably didn't want you to have that job. And, and you know, if your wife leaves you, that's probably God's will too. And even if she takes the kids, that was probably God's will. Um, you know, because he saw how busy you were and how like that job was dragging you down. And, 
you weren't really able to focus on spending time with him. And, and so I, I think maybe he's just kind of taken all that stuff out of your life right now so that, you know, you can have more time with him. So I, I really think, you know, you just got to trust. This is God's will. God's will. All right, there it is. It must have been God's will. Maybe you've heard it put this way before. Everything happens for a reason. So again, we're looking at the situation that someone is in. We're looking at probably something that's almost crushing them. And we're telling them, don't worry. It's all supposed to be this way. That was God's will. Can I just take a, a pause here? Can we just hit pause? Unpause, sorry. If you've ever been in a really terrible situation in your life and someone came to you and their words of wisdom to you or their attempted words of comfort to you were, it must have been God's will. Can I just say I'm sorry? Because in some cases, that's about the most damaging thing you could ever tell somebody. When you look at some of the situations that people face, to look at them and tell them that must have been God's will is about the most damaging thing I could imagine to say to someone. And if, and if you've ever been in that situation, can I just say, I'm sorry, and, and that that's not God's heart, that's a broken theology. It's a broken idea that we're using to try to comfort ourselves and each other, but it's not biblical. And so I want us to look at what, what is biblical and, and how can we wrestle with this idea of God's sovereignty and his will. Now, understand this. There is a big difference between what God wills, what he prefers, and what he will allow to be done. What God prefers and what God allows. For instance, in the Old Testament, we read about how God told Israel, I want to be your king. God said, that's my will, that's my plan, that's my intention, is to be your king. But the people said, no, we want an earthly king. We want someone who will govern us and lead us and direct us. And God gives them all these warnings about why that's a bad thing. But they said, no, we want it. And so God ends up saying, okay, I'll give you what you wanted. It was not what I would have preferred. It's not even what's best for you. But I have given you free will. And so you can use that free will to make decisions and do things that are going to go outside of my will, but in doing so, there is a consequence. And so where I really thought this was, was interesting was in the matters of prayer, the things that we pray for, and when Jesus specifically taught his disciples how to pray. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, this is what we read. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. He says, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to look at that again. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if we were to formulate a theology that says every single thing that happens in this world is God's will, then what would be the purpose of praying for God's will? If every single thing that transpires, God already decided that's what's going to transpire, then why would he encourage his disciples to pray, ask for the will of God, 
to be just as relevant on earth as it is in heaven. Ask for the will of God to be supreme on earth just like it is in heaven. I'll tell you why. It's because of free will. It's because we have the ability to make decisions. And again, not every time you've been affected by a negative situation is it because of your decision. Sometimes it's somebody else's decision. Sometimes it's somebody else's wrongdoing that you get to pay the punishment for, that you have to go through the consequence of. But the reality is that not everything that happens is God's will. There are things that he would prefer, that's his will, and there are things that he would allow. God says this again about the idea of divorce. He said, I would prefer for you to stay together with your spouse forever, but because of the hardness of man's heart, Moses, my servant, he permitted divorce. He allowed it because of your hardness. And so we need to understand and formulate a different theology, understanding that when we tell people that everything that happens is God's will, we create a very unjust, unrighteous, and unkind God. We, we tell people that it doesn't matter what you're going through. That's what God wanted to happen. You know, I heard tell of someone recently that lost their husband to suicide. And they were considering going to a, a grief group counseling, kind of like what we have here at the church. And they said their number one concern about going to a group like that is they were worried that when they got there, someone was going to tell them that her, her loss of her husband must have been God's will. And can I tell you, I was just kind of grieved by that. What a grievous thought that someone would, again, well-intended, try to comfort another person who has lost someone by telling them that must have been God's will. And again, I say, if you've ever been on the other side of that, and that's been you, and you went through something terrible like that, and someone's answer to you was it must have been God's will, I'm so sorry, because that's a terrible theology. And it really causes us to have to wrestle with this idea of, is God really good? If God would allow terrible things to happen, is God really good? I was reading through an article and, and really kind of led me to an idea that something I'd like to preach on in depth at some point is uh, in the book of Job. Now, if you've read the entire Bible, the book of Job is probably one of the more frustrating parts of it to read. There is debate on whether or not the book of Job is a narrative, something that actually happened, uh, or if it is just kind of a prototype, something that is meant to explain an idea to us, a moral, but that wasn't an actual event that transpired. Truth is, we don't know. Most people lean towards the idea that it really did happen. Job was an actual person. But again, if you read through the book of Job, and I'll give you the, the cliff notes here, or cliff notes, or, or Job for dummies. I don't know if you've ever had to read those. Uh, Job was a righteous man, an upright man, awesome, loved God and everything. He was blessed, had big family, was wealthy, all these incredible things. And Satan and God are having this conversation and he says to him, the only reason that Job blesses you is because you have allowed him to prosper. You have allowed him to be blessed. You've given him everything. And he says, and, and the conversation, God tells Satan, yes, uh, he is blessed, but I, even if he wasn't in the midst of blessing, Job would still honor me. And so Satan says, well, I'm going to put that to the test. God allows him to do that. And he puts it to the test. And at the end of it, we have to find out that Job gets the place. He said, I still want to honor God. I know I've never done anything wrong, but he questions God. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Why would you allow me to go through such intense suffering? Now, I wish I could say that God answers that question fully in that, chat, in that book, 
but he doesn't. The only thing that he speaks to is the fact that he knows what he's doing and maybe we don't. But here's, the, here's what's really something that we need to wrestle with, is whether or not everything that happened to Job was intended by God, or if it was something that was a harm that was brought against him from an outside source. Now, I could go really deep into this, and I don't want to go too far with it, but there is more to it than just that God decides to do things, that God decides to harm this person or allow this bad thing to happen. God removes his protection from that person or removes his blessing, or removes his healing. We look at those things and there's a temptation for us to believe that that's how God would handle it and that's what he's doing. But when we tell people that that's what he's done, we've told them that he's an unjust and unfair God. Instead, we need to look at the reality of what Jesus told his disciples to, to, to pray. Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that ever since the fall of humanity, ever since Satan sinned against God and was cast out of heaven, ever since humanity sinned against God and had broken relationship with him, God has been working to repair that broken relationship. But on the other side of that, there is an enemy that is trying to continually ruin that relationship. There is an enemy that is trying to ruin humanity. And we don't want to give full credence to that. In fact, 33% of, of Christians, of evangelical Christians, don't believe there is a real thing as the devil or hell. They think it's just a made-up thing that the church came up with. But it's in our Bible, and it's something that God tells us is real. And so understanding that God is fighting for us, but that there are aspects of a fallen world and a fallen nature that may go outside of what he would prefer. And I want to say that again, because this is where it comes down to it. There's what God would prefer, and there's what he allows. Now, because of the fallen state of humanity, there are a lot of things he's had to allow. When God had to send Adam and Eve away from his presence, when he had to curse the ground, when he had to increase the pain of childbirth, thanks a lot, Eve, he didn't do that because that's what he would prefer. He had to allow this punishment to stand because of what had already taken place. And so there's really an aspect of this, that free will that God has given to us, that it doesn't supersede his will, but it takes us away from what he would have preferred. And so that free will opens up the door for us to be able to harm each other, to harm the relationship that we're supposed to have with God, that we live in a fallen world of sickness and brokenness. You know, of course, as a pastor, I get asked, if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Uh, people who I've known, you know, devout followers of Jesus Christ, who love God with all their hearts, who died of cancer. How do we reconcile statements like that? By just looking at them and saying, it must have been God's will. Or we tell them God must have needed another angel. Or we tell them that everything happens for a reason. No, in doing so, we bring greater harm. In church, it's a, a one-line theology that we really need to take out of our thinking. Not everything that happens was what God would have preferred to happen. And when we tell people that all of it is God's will, we really set God up to be a very unjust and unkind God. We make him look really bad. And so it's something we need to cancel from our thinking, understanding that our free will plays a greater part here than sometimes we're willing to accept. Yes, there is brokenness. And because of that, there's fallen nature that brings more brokenness into our world. You know, again, I don't hope for anyone to, uh, to die of cancer or any of those things. But when I look at it, I have to be honest with myself. We eat things that God never intended us to eat. 
We put things into our body. God never intended for us to put into our bodies. And if he's looking and he's speaking what he would prefer and his will and his desire for us, it would be to be blessed. It would be to be healthy and strong and filled with his spirit. All of those things are his preference, but we're living in a fallen nature, a fallen world that has to find some way to reconcile what God has allowed because of that fallen state and what God desires as we turn to him. And so when we turn to God, when we choose relationship with God and going back into that deep pattern of loving connection and commitment to him, sure, there are things that he's going to turn around and change for us, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it fixes everything in our world. Everything happens for a reason. It must have been God's will. Not everything that happens is God's will. And I hope that in some way we might find the ability to wrestle through this and understand that there is a fallen sin nature. There is a fallen nature of humanity that goes outside of what God's preference is. But the promise of Jesus is he says, I want to give you the power to overcome that fallen nature. So that's why he tells his disciples, pray like this. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, first of all, that not everything on earth that happens is God's will, but secondly, that we can pray for God's will to begin to happen here on earth. We can pray for what God would prefer to begin happening here when we become true people of prayer. And so instead of telling somebody next time that everything happens for a reason, that it must have been God's will, it would be so much more compassionate to explain that there are situations that we face, that there are things that we go through that truly grieve the heart of God. And they're not what he intended. They're not what he would prefer. God doesn't prefer for innocent children to be hurt. God doesn't prefer for innocent blood to be shed. God doesn't prefer for young people to die. God doesn't prefer any of these things. It's not what he would desire. But because of this fallen nature in which we live in, we fall prey to the consequence of that fallen nature sometimes. But there's good news because Jesus said, pray like this, that the will of God would begin to happen here on earth like it's happening in heaven. Because in heaven, God says, do, and it's ha it happens. They do it. But on earth, we have to hope for things and we can't always get what we want. But he says, let's ask for God's will to come down on earth and move in power the way that he moves in heaven. Meaning that God could begin to do what he prefers instead of us having to continue to live in that fallen sin nature. Church, the gist of it is this. There are one-liner ideas that we have used throughout history that have been a greater hurt than help. They need to be canceled. They need to be taken away from our thinking and our theology. They need to be removed from our conversations because they aren't a help. They are a hurt. They damage the character of God. They damage the will of God. They damage who, how good God can be to us and how much he loves us because we simply reduce it to one line and say that it must have been what God desired. It must have been his plan. God never gives you more than you can handle. And instead of pressing in to know the situations better, to give greater love or concern for the person that we're facing, or I know this is going to be really hard, sometimes just being silent and loving them, we want to jump in with our one-line theology and tell people this is the way it is or that's the way it is. And in doing so, we don't often think of the damage that we do to the character of God. But I want to challenge you to think about that. 
You know, saying something is not always the best thing that you can do. Sometimes a truly hurting person just needs you to be there and to love them, to let them know that you care about them, to be reminded that God still loves them, that he cares about them, that it's not their fault that they don't have the strength to get through this difficult situation. What it really points to is that they need better connection, deeper, closer connection with God, that he wants to use this moment to draw them closer to himself. And instead of telling people that everything that happens is God's will, reminding people that we do live in a fallen world, that Jesus is working to overtake day by day, that because of what was accomplished on the cross, that we can have hope and that when we pray in the name of Jesus for the will of God to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, we can do so with hope and expectation. But that doesn't mean that every single thing that we encounter is going to be what God wanted or would have preferred. And so I hope that as we close out this series uh, of canceling what doesn't belong in American Christianity, that we'll truly stop to think, and maybe there's more, maybe there are other things that you can come across in your thinking. Um, I'd love to hear some of those from you and let me know what you think they might be. But there are things that we may have been saying in our theology that go a little bit deeper than just the words that were spoken. The damage that they done have done is not impossible to restore, but we need to start thinking with compassion instead of what maybe someone else told us or what we heard someone say to someone else. But digging deep into the Word of God and understanding, it is possible to be overwhelmed and rely on God. And the free will that God has given to humanity is something that has to be tamed by the will of God. But that only happens in humility and reverence and submission to God. And so I hope that you will consider some of the things that we say and that we will really look at the way that we treat people and love people and be really more concerned with showing them the true character and nature of God instead of giving them one line that we hope might help the situation. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for each person in the room today. And I thank you, God, that it was on purpose that you brought them to the service today or it was on purpose that you drew them to watch this online. And God, I do pray that if there's been any damage that has been done to someone listening to my voice today through a well-intended individual who might have told them that you never gave them more than they could handle or that whatever their situation was, it must have been your will or that everything happens for a reason. God, I just pray that there could be some healing that takes place because it did a damage to your character. It, it did damage to how much you love them and your concern for their lives. And so, God, I pray that you would just in some way soften that hurt that maybe is in their hearts, that as they've maybe experienced that uh, being on the other side of that and, and having to be told that maybe it was their fault or that you just chose these things, uh, I pray that we would be able to maybe look at it through a different perspective, understanding that there's a deeper theology in all of this. And God, I pray for us, those of us who desire to be helpful and compassionate and kind, I pray that you would challenge us to go deeper. Challenge us to go deeper than just some one-liner that tries to bring comfort to a situation or maybe saying it just because we don't know what else to say. God, I pray that there might even be moments where you help us to be silent and be still, to not say anything at all, to just show love and mercy and comfort, to lead people to your heart and to let them know that there are things that grieve your heart as well. They may not have been what you intended or what you would have preferred that maybe you're equally grieved like they are, that you, you catch their tears and maybe you would even shed some of your own. 
And so, God, I pray that we would be able to be more compassionate and loving to the people around us as we carefully guard the theology of the one-line ideas that we share with other people. And I pray, God, that there can be healing for those who are hurt and that there can be a reformation for those of us, Lord, who are trying to do our best to love the world around us. No matter what, we want to represent you, and I pray that you'll help us to do so. And so, God, I pray that we would just continually seek to bring accountability to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would not be those who simply fall in line with what American Christianity looks like, but that we would truly dig deep into what it means to be a biblical follower of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for your faithfulness, God, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, it was really an honor to be able to share this with you and to finish out this series. We're going to start into a series next week uh, that is called The King is Coming as we get ready for Easter and uh, the coming time that we're going to share together. But our prayer team is available for you and we'll be around the altar this morning. And if you would like some time to pray with someone about anything, they would relish the opportunity to be able to pray with you. But go out into the world and love the world around you with more than just one line. Love them with the love of Jesus and show them that he loves them too.